Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Platform Enterprise. I'm your host, Rachel Donald, and in addition to this podcast, I also investigate all things political on the Platform Enterprise newsletter. Head over to www.platformenterprise.com to subscribe to both the newsletter and the podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Safia Kamaria, an exciting poet whose work is grounded in dance and culture. Safia is nothing short of life-affirming, and this brilliant conversation ranges from the form of poetry to joy to the institutionalized hurdles faced by women and people of color in the poetry community. Keep your eyes peeled for her debut collection, The Inheritance, coming soon with, outsco- coming soon with Outspoken Press. I guarantee you'll want to pick it up after listening to her. Enjoy the show. There's uh, nothing formulaic about poetry, especially no. not sort of spoken word poetry and the kind of poetry that, you know, I've been reading years over the past few days. And certainly a poetry that takes upon itself to speak about what is greater than itself. That That's not the kind of stuff that you can just pump out 24 hours a day. It's emotionally taxing, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, it, it absolutely. And, and the content as well, sometimes the content can be harrowing or, you know, distressing. I mean, sometimes you might find yourself writing about something very small. Okay, so like a flower or a picture on a notepad, and then all of a sudden you end up talking about your mother or mm-hmm. your childhood. One thing I have been doing is I've left social media for, for a good okay. time. I've been off social media for about two months now and and it's been wonderful I've Mm -hmm. I my happiness has increased my levels of anxiety have decreased Mm -hmm. and I'm finding that I'm just cherishing the deeper connections between people and having personal conversations and and enjoying the 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 nuance in people's lives and and Mm -hmm. also just small moments that we don't get that we we don't have on on social media because everyone's either just shouting at each other or it's or it's the big things but like rolling up socks and ironing and and you know (laughs) going to the supermarket just the everyday things you know and Mm. and it's nice to just have that you know those personal connections I know that at some point I'm gonna have to rejoin you know you or I don't have to but rejoin social media to let people know what I'm up to if I do have something to say but I think that I would like for most of my opinions and the the things that are most important to me to be relayed in my work and I would hope that that would speak for itself however one of the the main reasons why I, I did leave so I'll give you an example a couple got married and they were sharing their pictures and it was really lovely and and it was just, it was just a happy thing. And I scroll down and I see people making cruel comments and talking about how they hate marriage and which is fine. It's okay. You know, your views on marriage are your views. That's fine. But it's the way that people felt the need to present their opinion for this couple's happy moment. And then I find myself hating, not hating, I guess that's a strong word, but being quite dismissive and and just, I felt a sudden surge of anger at these people being angry at the couple. And I thought to myself, okay, I have an option. I have a choice to just stop and to not continue this. I don't have to be angry. I'm going to back off because these things are designed to make us angry. 
and to keep us in in this in this state of flux. And and I thought, okay, this is not only disruptive to my joy, but it's also disruptive to my creativity. I'm I'm not able to focus because you you know you're in such a state of of vexation that it's it's actually very difficult to create. So I I left and I, and I thought I don't want to continue the cycle. I'm not adding, I'm not providing any value. And as a poet, an artist, dancer, I want to come from a place of joy. I want to create from a place of joy. And even if I'm writing about trauma, I still want it to come from a loving place. And I think mm. that is possible. And the quality of the work will be completely different. So because it was so disruptive, I, I decided to just take a step back. And it, and it worked. It, it definitely worked. Do you find or did you find when you were on social media uh, and this isn't a line of questioning we, we, need, we need to go down it's just something that's come off the top of my head did you find your work being shaped by the things that you were perceiving and what I mean by that is if you take the the poetry of Rupi Kaur there's this whole like tr- thing on Instagram of people writing poetry just like her with the little drawings just like her because that's kind of how it's come to be ingested and so I just wonder if there was any tension between like the poetry that comes from you and your soul and then the work that you were perceiving around you in a wider community I wouldn't say there was tension I would say there was a a safe distance I don't yeah, I don't tend to engage with that poetry too often. I like I like to read poetry for the purposes of just ruminating mm. and and being inquisitive. And mm. I think that you know, not to be not to be dismissive of of what they call Instagram poetry, but I don't particularly enjoy being spoon-fed. I want to spend time with the with the reader's work. I've had this conversation before and someone said, well, no, it's it's very similar to Maya Angelou. And and I'm thinking, well, hold on a minute. So you're you're trying to ex- tell me that that poetry from a certain period by certain authors is is simple. And <laughs> and this is and this is a huge problem. And and then we start having these conversations about race and gender and, and, and what people are calling identity poets that poetics. I have a huge problem with people perceiving poetry, which is easy to read, as simple. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that Instagram poetry is simple. There are some poems that are extremely profound, but I guess they are being commercialized in a way to make them seem quite simple. And that's what I hate. And everyone say, well, this is what this poem means and that's it. And there's mm-hmm. nothing else to it. And I actually think it's quite demoralizing, but I also, I, I champion work that is giving people a sense of agency to feel that they can write themselves. I am very proud that poetry is, has become more available to people and and people are finding ways into poetry especially through Rupi Kaur's work and I think that's fantastic any work that makes anyone feel something is surely worth celebrating I want to go back to something you said uh, identity poetics because I think I think most people know what identity politics is Mm. but did you say identity poetics I did yeah so every poem in my opinion is an identity poem but of course, 
people who perform identity poems are people from marginalized communities people who you know i mean everything is political but of course you know people talking specifically about um oppression tend to be grouped into this category of creating identity poetics and i and it and it infuriates me because it's it's almost like it's given a, a bad reputation. Oh no, this and you you will hear this at at slams if you're good slams open mics. Audience members, you know, complain about the fact that oh no, we're going to get another identity poem again. Oh. And what's interesting to me is that if every single one of us was to write a simple poem about walking outside, walking down the road, that would be an identity poem. If you you know, talk about your surroundings, it's an identity poem. I, there are many white middle class people who have written poems about their gardens. That's an identity poem. The fact that you even have a garden, the fact that you even have time to write about your garden, that is an identity poem. It's saying a lot about you. But of course, they're not identity poems because they're not about Mm. blackness or about gender or about your orientation. They're simply, you know, they're, they're normal. You know, they're perceived as normal, whereas everybody else writing about anything to do with marginalization or oppression. And it's, it's a shame. It's a shame. I don't believe in the the notion um, that one poem is about identity and one poem is. And if you, you know, again, going back to the analogy of walking down the world, a poem about that, if you're even looking up, that's an identity poem because you're saying that you're perhaps as someone who's a movement artist looking at noticing people's movements. If you're noticing things, you know, above eye level, you are most likely in a good mood or you know you're you're feeling a little more confident if you only notice what's on the floor you're talking about depression maybe so that's an identity poem so but, can, but then why would somebody's mood I, this is just pure interest why would somebody's mood necessarily have to dictate their identity I mean, I guess this would be pertaining to a collection if you know the whole collection would be about your about your your state of of only looking downwards. I guess this would allude to something else. And of course, this is where the questions come in. You know, we we can then question, and this is what I love about poetry. For me, the best poetry leaves questions. It, it asks a lot of questions. Mm. I I I'm just you know obviously giving examples, but. I would love to keep keep asking these questions. Why why are they focusing on the floor? Why are they not focusing on the sky? Mm. What's going on? Like what what are they yeah. not saying? And a poet who you know anything you put in your work, it's you know it's also what you don't put in your work, which is just as important. So so yeah yeah definitely. I think I think that it it's it's a, it's a shame. I think it's a shame the way poets tend to be pitted against each other. But it's all it's all just poetry, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was actually going to ask, like, I'm surprised by the fact that an open mic or a slam, there would be mm. a, a disparagement of of somebody's mm. work, considering that's a community that's come together to, to yeah. hear each other and support yeah. each other. Why do you think there's this pushback? Because I mean, it's not as if women poets or uh, people of color or it's not as if they've been hogging the spotlight for centuries. It's a relatively new ability and right to get up. Yeah. And to talk yeah. about your blackness or your queerness or your womanness. So why yeah. why do you think there's pushback even within the community? Jealousy. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I just said it. I don't care. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> jealousy. It's 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 jealousy. I've I've so I've I've done um workshops in in slam and performance poetry and one question that will always come up is 
why is it that certain people always win slams and others don't and I always you know say what do you really want to say when you say that let little people what, what do you mean and 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 you know one one student student one participant in the workshop basically said okay well no offense but only black people and a certain type of woman wins slam competitions and it's not fair like I why don't I win and I said okay slamming open mics you know you're you're looking for immediate gratification people need to understand your poem there and then and they need mm-hmm. to feel something I don't do slam poetry anymore but yeah you know, and it's 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 this isn't poetry that you're going to sit down and take hours and hours to read and 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 study this is poetry that needs to make you feel something Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's it's a masterful art form. So I would never be disrespectful to the notion or the craft of, of slam and performance poetry. And I said, OK, well, what are you? And I asked a poet, I said, what, what do you write about? Do you write about anything you care about? Because I'm telling mm-hmm. you right now, I can go off on stage and, you know, and I've done this before. I've slammed. I don't just slam about, I, you know, my identity, but I've slammed mm-hmm. about my, you know, my love for music, I've done a haiku about Donna Summer and I won. And they, mm-hmm. and, they, and she was like, well, how is that possible? That's not possible. It's because, you know, surely that's just because you, you're, you're black and you can dance and, and, you know, giving me all of these excuses. And I said, it's because I am passionate about that. And I actually care about the topic. Are you writing about things that you care about? And the poet said, well, yes, but no, I'm also trying to talk about form and, and my poems are artistically brilliant and they there's a lot of technique. And I said, is anyone going to get that when they're watching you? Are they going to be able to break down all of those different lines, et cetera, when they're watching you? And she said, well, not necessarily. And I said, okay, well, what about the theme? And she said, well, I think someone should be able to win a slam by doing it. And I said, no, 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 no. If you are not able to relay a sense of passion, and you are not able to relay a style or anything in a meaningful way, how do you think that people are going to be able to connect with you? So let's let's throw this around. You know, let's talk about the people that you keep saying keep winning and you're not happy about it. These people are talking about things that impact every every aspect of their lives. If someone wins a slam and they're talking about, you know, racism and they've literally just racism is a Tuesday. What what and what this woman didn't realize and I explained to her, racism is a Tuesday for black people. We experience this a lot. You know, this is something that permeates our lives. So if someone decides to go up on stage and talks about something that, you know, anything to do with their lives, they're going to a sense of passion is going to exude from them and they're going to be able to connect with the audience. So you're going to need to find a way to connect. It's all poetry is. It's about connectivity. You're finding a bridge. If you're not able to find that bridge, you can kiss your slams and your open mics goodbye. That's what people want. And and this seems to be kind of the, the fascinating thing that, that slam has done comparative to on a kind of old style of poetry. And I'm thinking immediately of like Sylvia Plath, who wrote books and books and books and books about her father. Mm which was an inherently like personal story and trauma that she just could not get rid of. And she was writing for herself. Mm. And she had that relationship with Ted Hughes and that they were like the the Sartre and the, the Beauvoir of the UK, you know, they were just feeding each other's careers. But she didn't have to write about anything 
universal and and poetry mm-hmm. was the written form and it was editing and redacting and extracting and what slam has done has really brought forward like the stage and the the performer and the audience and the communion between mm-hmm. that and i and i wonder if that's also why we've seen this kind of explosion of identity poetics or people trying to expound upon themes and expound upon politics because poetry now is an audience absolutely yeah audience members they they want to connect with you you know you go to a play because you want to feel something you don't go to a a play or a show because you you want to have a bad time that makes no sense what has poetry given you in in terms of a toolkit to to confront the these issues that you write about because I found this I was going through your Twitter feed and I found this really really beautiful tweet from you it wasn't that long ago and it was like Mm -hmm. oh 2016 I was into storytelling 2017 was the first time I I called myself a a poet or a spoken word Mm -hmm. artist and and now Mm -hmm. I'm here and I'm part of this community that I was so so excited to belong to and I find that really, really beautiful and humble. So yeah, I would like to know what poetry has given you over the, these past four or five years in terms of being able to discuss and relate with things mm. that were perhaps you didn't even have the words for before. For me, I think that I always wanted to to express myself. So I, I used to... I still do. I'm a dancer, but dancing can be very abstract. You know, it's 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 very difficult to decipher what what someone's uh, trying to convey through their dance movements unless you have lyrics. I went to an, an open mic and someone didn't actually show up, and and the the organizer said, "Does anyone want to share anything? Do we have any poets in the audience?" and I remember my friends at the time, they said, oh, Safia, you write, go up. And I, and I was like, <laughs> okay, I don't have any poems, so I freestyled. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I actually freestyled. I just said things. And surprisingly, it was enjoyed. And <laughs> I was told to come back. And I thought, okay, this is, um, clearly this was something I was meant to do. Okay. And it, and then I obviously I came back and I actually did take it a little more seriously. Obviously, I <laughs> I had something else to say, but yeah, it was it was a strange moment. But it was also really, it felt it felt like I was in in a sense nurturing myself. I think it, it felt like an act of self care. And and this isn't to say that poetry is therapy because it isn't, but I felt that by giving myself the opportunity to write and say what I think I you know I've always wanted to say and you know had had a purge of of emotion you start asking questions about your own work and I noticed that the more I wrote the more I realized I don't actually know that much and that's a wonderful feeling it's a wonderful feeling to feel that your writing is actually helping you to to understand the world and make less sense of it at the same time and I think that's what it's giving me I think I think I've become humble you know by writing I think writing does make you humble it makes you more it makes you more um empathetic to to people's plight and it, and it makes you more understanding about about human nature I think I mm-hmm. I'm 
because of poetry, I'm more forgiving. I'm more patient because I've learned to recognize all of the imperfections in myself. So I think I've become uh, a more self-aware person through poetry. I hope that answers. That was that. I was I was thinking maybe I was I was going to answer in terms of technicalities like syntax and metaphors, but no, that went down a more endearing route. So shame. Okay, there we go. No, not at all. <laughs> We're talking about you know having a toolkit for expression. I think it's absolutely understandable. You would talk about feeling and what it gives you in terms of yeah how it, how it can help you feel about the world. I wanted to ask you about the fact that women in particular are kind of coming forward to like dominate you know the the poetry scene and obviously I was introduced to you by by Lisa Lux and you you have this community of women writers that support uh, and empower each other and why why do you think that, that that has kind of come about in the I don't know the past decade or so why why is it now the space for the for women to, to step forward and why do you think they've chosen this kind of ecosystem of nurture you know what it is I think it's it's something that's always been happening but now we've been but we've been definitely given a bigger platform mm. or the platforms or we're not we're less likely to be kicked off yeah we're, we're, we're less likely to be kicked off and and the more of us there are I think the harder it is for us to be removed. My biggest issue is knowing that people still believe one is enough or few is enough. So right. being a part of Outspoken's next lineup, we, we've had these conversations that we're very aware that, okay, this is when we're, we're taking baby steps and there's still a long way to go. We're still very much a minority in, in literature. Right especially with with new with new voices i mean you, you see these roster of poets and and every now and again you see a woman and you think okay great that's fantastic but i suppose we're supposed to be grateful for this one or, or right these. yeah so i think yeah baby steps are definitely being made and we're pushing and, and we're fighting and i think i wouldn't necessarily say we're louder but yes i think it is just not being kicked off as much because right. I'm, I'm also very aware of, of, of figures, powerful figures like Joelle Taylor and Bernadine Evaristo and Kat Francois and all of these poets who have actually been saying the same things that we've been saying for a longer time and have been, you know, fighting the good fight, but simply being ignored. And I think definitely what needs to happen now is there needs to be kind of a reconciliation and and kind of like this I never hear I don't hear many apologies I would like to hear more apologies I would I'm gonna drop the ball and I'm gonna say something that is probably a lot of people might be um annoyed about but I'm gonna say it anyway because I think it's important when there is a lack and I've just wrote a poem about this recently so that's why it's on my mind but when there is a lack what tends to happen is there tends to be an unhealthy um amount of competition and what that does is it actually causes animosity in the community. So on the other hand, while we have people who are who are coming together, you know, we have, there's a very strong sense of feminist collective. And, you know, on the one hand, yes, yes, many people are rooting for each other. What you also tend to have is you also tend to have a, a sense of, of jealousy and resentment. Because when there's only room for a few women, you know, you, you're wondering, well, why were those people chosen when we're all not? And, and sometimes I will say, well, I have a problem with, the notion of 
of jealousy. I get very mad when people get jealous. And yeah, the, the whole notion of jealousy just infuriates me. But sometimes, sometimes it is warranted because if there were only a few places for people, you understand why jealousy happens when every when so many um people are working hard the same thing that is happen happens in the black community and i'm sure in every marginalized community when you have special slots okay black history month when you have special slots for a few black people you create a division within the community because then all of the black people realize well there's only a few places so now so now we're not right. going to have a sense of of, of a sense of, of love towards each other and i think that sometimes the same thing happens with women when you have these 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 you know these and i and i understand why they're there we need to have these initiatives for women's this and women's that and i understand but it would be a lot better if it was just more equal anyway so women didn't have to keep fighting for these positions all the time of course you're going to get animosity between women and that's not fair but it's done deliberately so yes i've just completely undermined everything i've just said but uh, no it's you have a sense of community you do there is lots of love of course i have my sisterhood i i love everyone i want everyone to do well I, it's in it's in everyone's best interest that those who work hard do well. But at the same time, I am very aware that there are there are initiatives that are set up which I believe actually cause a lot of harm. And if you're going to set up one initiative, you have to set up a good few fifty, because what you're going to happen is you're going to happen a lot of people who are going to miss out on opportunities. And then if you know if we want to keep talking about women, you know, let's talk about about aging let's talk about the mm. fact that if a woman has a child she is less likely to sustain a career still we have this in the literature community many women that i'm speaking to are now getting married and are having children and they are texting me and saying i don't know if i want to have children right now because i haven't released my first collection and my career is going to go down the drain and you're in literature and this is what women are are worried worrying about why though God, the one the one sector you would think would be free from it. Um, but what, but what, hey, well, hang on, let's let's, yeah. let's get into that. Let's get into the politics of that. Like, what yeah. is that? Because that's not readers don't care who's had babies. You know, if we if I like a poet, it's because I like a poet, not because I care what's happened. You know, down under. So, like, what's the issue? Is it with like agents? Is it with you know the big traditional sort of like publishing houses and what they expect of somebody's quote unquote productivity, which you said at the beginning, and we'll come back to. Like, what's going on? What's the problem? I think. Okay, so I'm not a mother. This is from having conversations with mothers, new mothers, women who have had children and now trying to get back into the industry, etc. Saying that they're less likely to be booked for gigs because people are concerned, might might be concerned about priorities, allegedly, and taking time out to have a child and worrying about going, you know, under the radar. Someone said to me, I'm worried that I won't be remembered again if I have another child, because the last time I had a child, people forgot about me. So I guess this does kind of feed back into what I was originally saying about the constant need to have to produce and produce all the time. What is that? Like, what is it about artistry today that means that you have to be in perpetual motion forward? Like, surely, you know, the whole thing is you write a collection, you take some time, you know, you promote it or whatever. You feel some stuff, you think about some stuff, you realize, you know, how do you want to evolve? Because this is the thing, like growing takes time and it takes rest. Mm -hmm. And as an artist, you don't want to keep re reproducing the same thing. 
So where is this push coming from that writers and artists and dancers like need to constantly be doing? Because it's, I mean, it's contrary to, to where quality, as you say, comes from. I guess it's, you know, this, this, this notion of being forgotten about, which I think is incredibly sad and kind of depressing. I, I feel that, you know, exactly mm. as you, you were, you're saying, you know, we should be growing, we should take time out, we shouldn't be pressured. This is my fourth year in poetry. And listening to people who've been doing this for a lot longer, you know, I, I remember the first conversations I really had were warnings. You know, it wasn't encouragement, oh, wow. it was a warning. It was like, well, in spoken word, you know, people always looking for the best to the hot, the best new thing. That trope was was quite infuriating to hear, and hearing from a woman's point of view, and you know, and, and immediately feeling quite empathetic towards women who are saying, "Well, I feel sidelined because I had a child and I took time out, and I felt I needed to then find my way back in." And I'm thinking, well, no, if you leave. There should still be a place for you. You are. You should be yeah. cherished. And I started asking questions: Why do these women fall silent? And I thought, Oh, there we go. Not being invited to to perform, kind of being excluded. Who runs these events? Okay, the majority of people who run these events are men. They are men. The majority of poetry organizations they are run by men. So perhaps. That is not to say men are not aware, but perhaps that is a, a reason for it. We don't have to qualify everything. You know, the fact of the matter is thing, things are going wrong in many yeah. different spheres. And we have to start <laughs> looking at like, you know, why? And it's not I, particularly no. nice. Like I don't ascribe to all of the literature on like power dynamics, but it's not a nice dynamic to have male-led mm-hmm organizing where women perform like Mm -hmm. women's performativity and 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 men's you know leadership that's not a nice dynamic particularly yeah let's let's just yeah let's call it for what it is it doesn't look good on paper i want to ask you about something on an individual level so we've spoken about womanhood you spoke about race and the kind of thing with like globalization and global communications is even in like the UK, I think that when we're talking about race, we're still kind of looking at the US and talking about their race problem and not really examining our own. And I wanted to ask if you feel that people expect you, which is kind of this like reverse tokenism thing. Like if people expect you to represent all black women, it's it's extremely problematic and this is why I'm I'm always championing the idea of more um poets basically sharing their stories. I was I was asked if, if there are stories that I need to that that should be um shared more. And I said yes and no. You can you can write about anything you want to, but also I'm I'm very for the idea of Black female poets, especially, continuing the same discourses that we have in poetry. So, if they, you see a hundred poems about black hair, if you see a hundred poems about colorism, then should more because we need to hear more opinions. I think it's I think it's absolutely hilarious that I can read millions of poems about wheelbarrows and the moon, but no one says anything. But yet you you but oh, but we've heard this poem about black hair before. No, you haven't. You haven't heard it from my point of view. Therefore, you have not heard it. So I, I'm, I'm very for 
poets, you know, sharing as much nuance as possible and giving their own perspectives because, you know, blackness is often treated as a monolith and of, and of course it isn't. I'm, I think it's, I think England is very good at, at, at excusing themselves from every atrocity that they have caused in the world. And I, th and I believe that it's very easy for many British people to, to distance themselves or, or white English people to distance themselves from various trauma that is happening elsewhere. So for example, Black Lives Matter and, and, and I remember, you know, hearing an abundance of, of poetry from black British people. And I, and, I, and I remember seeing a lot of comments and thinking, you know, they're talking about what's happening in England, right? You don't need to be talking about things that are happening in, in America to talk yeah. about, you know, the, the pain that, that black people are suffering in England or, or anywhere else. And I, and I feel that I want, I've always wanted to, to be very, to be very detailed about specific nuances so that to let people know that you know this poetry comes from me and and my and my experiences and I'm and I and sometimes I will say this happened in England you know in 1998 this happened in Barbados in in 1994 and and say this is my story and sometimes I won't necessarily talk about race sometimes I necessarily won't talk about about gender but if I do, then please listen. And if I don't, still listen. Because, yeah. you know, this other problem that happens is that, you know, you're always expected to talk about blackness and femininity in a, in a certain way. And, and when you decide not to, you know, it's it's almost like, oh, well, she's not doing that anymore. And and then it, it's sad because people think that's all you are. All you are is your your, your blackness and your gender. And, and yeah. I think that in, in my collection especially, I think one thing that I really wanted to bring forward for me was asking these questions about why these stereotypes, especially for West Indian women, and saying that, you know, our movements, our, you know, this, this what is perceived as vivaciousness, it doesn't necessarily come from a place of hatred, it comes from a place of love. So I wanted to to bring about these new perspectives and, and ideas behind, you know, all of these um, portrayals of us and, and again that's why I keep saying that I, I do believe that as many women should come forward and just give their own opinions because there is an abundance of narratives and an abundance of way to look at things yeah the problem is the main problem is is that white English people tend to believe that there's only one way to see someone and it's very interesting because they themselves okay so if you say for example a Londoner and someone from Birmingham, they're two completely different people. Mm. Someone who supports Manchester United, someone who supports Arsenal, they're two completely different people. They're like, there's so many different types of English people, right? Mm. There's so many different types of English people. It's not such a thing as one English person, but blackness, there's only one type of black woman, one type of black man. And, and it's, it's just, it's really interesting how, how one group are treated to another, which is so unfortunate and kind of ignoring all the beauty and, and, and all the histories and, and I mean, <laughs> millions of, of years of, of, of nuance and growth. Yeah, okay, thanks. It's a really great point about diversification and that is allowing for the multiplicity of individuality to, mm -hmm. to come through identity poetics rather than it just being about whatever somebody can foresee. 
when mm-hmm. they look and and that's like beyond getting more women or more black people or more indian people more ma- beyond getting more marginalized people into a certain space mm-hmm. like allowing them into that space because they are an individual first and foremost like that's the next step i, I think yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say that even when, you know, so Black History Month is a perfect example when you're asked to do a poem about about race uh, or to celebrate your heritage. Sometimes I don't really believe that that people really want to hear me, that people really want to hear what I really think. I think they want to hear a version which is palatable and there's a difference. Okay. So there are some things that I will, that I might say, you know, in my poetry and it might be considered as shocking. It might be considered, oh, that's a little harsh. No, that's, if you want it, then that, this is the thing. Be very careful what you ask for. Because mm-hmm. if you really want someone who, who has been marginalized to speak, if you really want someone to say, oh, speak about your oppression, you know, feed our need for, for us to feel like we're doing something. So tell us about your oppression. Many people won't be able to handle poetry. It wouldn't be palatable at all. And there are many times when I have been told to tone down, um, yeah. <laughs> your poem, <laughs> tone down your poetry about oppression. <laughs> yeah, tone down my poem about oppression. Maybe you don't want to be too graphic with that. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You asked me what it's like to be called the N-word. That's what you asked for. So here's what it is. So, you know, it's this thing about saying, oh, we want, we want Black people. No, do you really? It's pretty, like, we want to hear what women think about men. Really? <laughs> Are you really sure you want that? I mean, I, I mean, Lisa's a great example. Do you really want Lisa to perform her whole collection? You won't feel good about yourself. This isn't, this isn't what this is for. And I think people forget what, what it means to actually listen to people, to, to other voices. You know, it's not all going to be fun and happy. And, and so I, again, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, I really questioned how much people wanted to change like do you really want to dismantle your power do you do you really want to hear what black people think because i don't think you're ready i think you're you're reacting and this is the problem with with immediate gratification this is this reaction Mm. i'm doing something i'm going to change my screen black i'm going to put up a hashtag i'm doing something like yes yeah that's that's you doing something good for you yeah totally the the concept of allyship has become like I don't even know just sort of a a battleground of opinion and I think there's a huge number of people that like genuinely do want to to do the right thing and genuinely do want to help and I don't know how and are maybe like scared to ask as well I have seen particularly in feminist spheres on on social media for example taking a very 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 hard line you know, to, to people that, that ask questions, essentially, because the person says, oh, I, I don't have time to educate you or whatever, you know, go out and do your own education. Like, there is truth to that. But there's also, mm-hmm. you know, that bridge that needs to be built. And, you know, the mm-hmm. idea isn't to just flip dynamics. It's, it's, it's never going to go beyond the framework in which it already exists, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I mean, I've predominantly thought about this, interestingly, from like two perspectives, like as a feminist, okay, what would I expect from a man? And then as a white person, okay, what would you expect of me? And both, I don't know. 
on both sides I don't know I don't know what to 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 tell men when they say what should I do I don't know anymore I think what what you just said was absolutely correct and I think this is the problem everyone thinks there has to be one solution like what what will solve racism and sexism what will do it no it, it it's it's how can you expect to dismantle something that has been festering for how many you know about no hundreds of thousands of years like sexism this is a long time it's not going to be solved in 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 a day so what you said about asking questions and just taking baby steps and taking the time all it needs is for you know i mean for goodness sake it's just even the simple thing of you know how can we expect to solve racism if you know people are still defensive about getting a black person's name right or calling a black woman an angry black woman it's little yeah. things first if you can't even do that what are we doing why bother yeah. yeah 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 and you're right you know about what people whether or not people want to give up the the benefits that they have i think it's like oh it's a kind of difficult language because if you talk about you know like benefiting from a system of oppression you know you have to talk about the global one percent which is us the west we're the global one percent you know we're benefiting off of everything and yet considering like the precarization and like the decline of the middle class and all of this stuff you know it's it's not an active oppression like we partake in systems that we actually cannot remove ourselves from either like that's one of the things that happen with democracy so again it's that language of like how do we go and have conversations about the fact of okay you benefit from x y and z i need you to learn about this in order to help me change it without it becoming you are just as bad as a history of mm -hmm. oppression which which unfortunately it just turns off a whole lot of people and those are the people that we need to speak to absolutely yeah. it's very difficult to 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 find a way in and to have mm. that to encourage people to do that self-reflection but all you can do is encourage because of course we can you know force everyone to do that and i and you know and i and i have the same i have conversations with myself about you know engaging in in capitalism i live in england and i i buy things from various places i need to eat i need to yeah. i need to wear warm clothes where am i going to find yeah. them from i you know certain things cost a certain amount of money it's the middle of a we're in the middle of a well there's another economic depression you know we're in the middle of a pandemic where am I going to go to get my clothes um to get a scarf a new heater what what am I what am I supposed to do you know these conversations are really difficult but you know I think it's about owning up to the fact you know I mean you know someone asked me well you know are you, are you a communist and I said I'm just, you know I'm going to be selling books I'm going to be selling words I'm I'm mm. so I'm not going to sit here and and say that okay I am a perfect conscious person when I know very well that I'm I'm engaged I'm buying books oh these books mm -hmm. are a lot of money where else am I going to get them so yes I'm engaging in capitalism and I have to reflect on why I'm doing that you know? yeah but you this is the thing and like you're totally hitting the nail on the head is essentially like we can talk about class and race and even globalization until like we're blue in the face but ultimately mm -hmm. until we start to tinker with and not necessarily completely dismantle, yeah, because yeah, I, I don't yeah. think that, you know, that makes me very nervous as well. But we need to address the economic systems that, that, that keep these dynamics at play. 
and and you know you see a lot of stuff about kind of like social entrepreneurship at the moment and great initiatives and intentions but perhaps not addressing the the very the fact that they're springing up from the very roots upon which the problem was founded that they're trying to address Mm -hmm. and can we make changes in that vacuum I, I don't know yeah it's not a problem that's going to be solved anytime soon we can make little changes we can make people aware we can try um our best to set examples but you know and I'm, I'm saying but like there, there are thousands of excuses but it, it simply is a very problematic and, and difficult issue I you know I would love to be able to say there's an easy answer and, and I want to be able to change the world but I very much am someone who believes in doing the small things, taking baby steps and doing one thing at a time. And of course, certain things can never happen when the certain people are still in power. And that's why I say like, things don't ever change if the same people still have the same beliefs. Absolutely. To kind of bring all these uh, different threads together, like, what do you see as the poet's role in all of this? Because the the word that came back with your poetry over and over and over again was joy, joy, joy. Mm. And mm. I think it's a beautiful place to, to create yes. from. So what do you see as the poet's role in all of this? For me, I want to always come from a place of love. I want people to feel a sense of empathy. Anyone who can feel anything about my work and, and hey, if they if you feel anger when you read my work, oh, that's a good thing as well. Good, great. I hope so. Anyone who feels anything about my work, I think I will have done my job. And I think that that encourages empathy, encourages compassion. And having compassion for your fellow man is going to motivate you to want to do right by them. With that said, I'm not going to say that that is a poet's role. A poet's role is also to just observe and to speak as well and, and also to observe themselves. And and one thing that I, I remember someone recently in a workshop, a, a participant asked me, well, sometimes I don't want to speak about the big things. Sometimes I just want to speak about my things. And I said, you have no idea how profound you can be if you just speak about the dolly in your room You have no idea what that can do for someone. That level of connection that you can provide as a poet will make a huge difference to someone's day, to someone's uh, sense of self. And sometimes it's not about the big things. Sometimes it's about the small things. And yeah, I remember I've I've written about this before where a man said, well, what's the point of poetry? You know, I don't need to know about a woman's chipped tooth or how big her smile is, you know, that's not what I need to know. And I said, well, hold on a minute. You just mentioned two details that no one would notice. Who talks about someone's chip in there too? Who talks about some the, 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 the width of someone's smile? The fact that a poem allowed you to notice that this woman parades scars in her mouth and she has the ability to smile that big, you've just proved your point that you would never have seen before. That's what we do. That's the power of poets. We can show you things that you might be missing and you'll think about the world in a different way or maybe not, but hey, you'll think. And that's nice. That's a good thing. I love poetry. (laughs) So do I. I really, really, really love it. I think it's so special. Just on its like the most basic level, what it does linguistically, you know, how it proves that 
words can go together that, that shouldn't be next to each other to just create whole new worlds. Mm-hmm. I think that right there, language is, you know, the kind of foundation of society and then what poetry can do with it. It just shows that's what we can use to change the world. When we have nothing left, we can create whole new worlds still just with language. I love it. Absolutely. Just to, to finish up, is there somebody that you would like to platform? I actually was thinking about this, but I had so many names that came to mind. I'm going to send an email and <laughs> I'm going to, I'm sorry, I, I have, I have like this, this, like I had a list and I thought, oh God, there's, there's so many wonderful poets. So I'm going to. I'm going to make a few suggestions. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to your email and I'm going to work down that list. Don't you worry. Yes. yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Safia, for coming on the show. Thank you. Bless you. Hello, hello. Just a reminder, The Inheritance, Safia's first collection, will be out with Outspoken Press later in the year. So I urge you to sign up to their mailing list because, frankly, all of the women they're publishing this year are simply phenomenal. You can also subscribe to Platform Enterprise to get every podcast episode and newsletter delivered straight to your inbox. Sign up now at www.platformenterprise.com. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. See you next week.